This is Big Dreams, Bold Moves, the podcast inspiring families like yours to discover endless possibilities for living abroad, because life is too short to settle. I'm Malia, and I will be your host as we travel around the world speaking with experienced expats and experts. We're going to learn how to get visas, make money, and find jobs abroad. We'll get a behind-the-scenes look at what everyday life with kids is really like in different countries and get you the answers you need to go from daydreaming to international move-making. Now, let's get on our way. Hello! Today we are going to be traveling to the tropical island city-state of Singapore. Singapore is a huge expat destination because so many international companies have offices there. Your company or your spouse's might already have operations there. If they don't, check out my show notes where I've linked to a list put together by livinginsingapore.org of the top nine recruitment agencies. I've also added a link to Indeed Singapore, which lists positions that are currently open. Our guests today are Allison Azawa Sanders and Jessica Duff. They are the authors of The Expat's Guide to Singapore. They're going to tell us almost everything we need to know about expat family life in Singapore. The rest of the nitty-gritty details can be found in their book, which I've linked to in my show notes, along with their social media accounts. Now, please welcome Allison and Jessica. Hello, ladies. Hi. Welcome to Big Dreams, Bold Moves. Um, Why don't we get started by you each introducing yourselves? Who wants to start? Jessica. You start off. Oh, God. Okay, I'll start. Hi, I'm Jessica Dutt. I'm an Irish expat living in Singapore for five and a half years. I have three children, aged 10, 8, and 6. And I am the author of The Expat's Guide to Singapore, a co-author with Alison Ozawa-Sanders. Over to you, Alison. <laughs> this is amazing. We're really good at this already, I think. We are. We're awesome. Um, <laughs> Um, I am Allison Sanders, and um, I am from California. I have three kids, also um, twins who turned 13 last week and a six-year-old. And I've been in Singapore for five years, um, writing a book with Jess. (laughs) So did you both arrive about the same time? Yeah, Jess got here uh, like six months, I guess, before I did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I'd been here, you got here in August, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Um, I arrived in January, the very beginning of the year. And how did you meet each other? Well, Alison stalked me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> She'd heard, heard great things about me and stalked me. No, we didn't meet out. We, we met through, our kids were going to the same school, and we were trying to find play dates for our then-babies, and wow. for ourselves, because we had no friends. Let's just be honest and, about yes. that part. Okay. No friends. Yeah, we can leave out that whole story. We had no friends and we found <laughs> each other. Um, so we met up. We organized for, in the you know, quotations, the babies to meet up, for us to meet each other in the Botanic Gardens. And um, God, I, I remember that so clearly. And it was almost five years ago. It's so like funny. Like it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we just met and fell into each other's arms and, and have never let go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's meant to be. So what do you love about living in Singapore? Mm, go ahead, Jess. Okay, I'll go ahead. Um, 
you know, I was thinking about that and all the things that I would give as the reason for, li- for loving living here are now I totally take for granted because I've been here for so long. But I so clearly mm-hmm. in the first couple of years remember thinking, oh, it's just warm every day. Like, you know, and coming from, we were here, in, we were in London for a long time before we moved here. So coming from London where, you know, you'd no idea which way the wind would be blowing, except it would be blowing hard and furious and, and wet. Um, just, just the weather is such a relief when you've come from a miserable climate. Uh, so that's fabulous because it really makes a difference to family life when you we both Ali and I arrived with very young kids and that really makes life easier because you can just get out and do things all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a big fan and I take advantage of the helper culture here, which is it's very common and encouraged and expected almost that you'll have a live-in help. And when I arrived again, I had a one-year-old. Uh, three-year-old and a five-year-old so you know it it was important for me to have an extra set of hands around the house especially as moving here one tends to move away from one's community and greater family so those two things I now totally take them for granted Um, we're about to break up for the summer and I know as with every single year my favorite best day of the holiday the summer holidays which are long will be the day I get back to Singapore sit outside my clean house with a gin and tonic in my hand and somebody else is making dinner and doing the laundry and putting the kids to bed. It's absolutely the best day of the whole year. So those two things are fabulous. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. I could use that oh, right so about good. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's awesome. But we just, it's so, it's such a fabric of our life now that we don't, you know, we're spoiled brats a bit and we take it for granted, those two things. Mm-hmm. The opportunity to travel from Singapore is fabulous. It's what else? Our meeting, just the exposure to, to the melting pot of culture here and all the brilliant people we meet. The education for the kids is fabulous. As the kids get older, I think we really think, embrace. Sorry, Han. I think yeah, the safety say, for the kids is huge. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing for me, really. It's like, so my twins are 13 now and they've been, since they were 10, they've been taking public transportation and taxis on their own to and from school, to and from baseball practice. Like, I can't think of another place in the world that I'd be, I'd put my 10 year old by himself in a taxi and be like, off you go. Yeah. Tell, you would definitely coach, get on the news very quick in California if you were doing that. Right? Yes. You'd yeah. be in jail. Your kid would be like in a taxi in Mexico somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is incredibly safe. We're not, my eldest is only 10, so we're not quite there yet, but I know from people with teenagers and also just Ali you're obviously more on the the periphery of this than I am the exposure for teenagers to things that we worry about like alcohol and drugs and things that isn't really a concern here petty crime isn't a concern you know the the social uh, minor social problems isn't a concern so it's great wonderful anything else Ali no just hit them all Okay. This, this is Sorry. how we roll. Jess answers the question for 10 minutes and then I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally what she said. Exactly. <laughs> so you've both been there five years. Do you remember back when you first arrived, how easy was it to find a place to live? See, you I'm being all um, quiet now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's, um, I mean, I think a lot of us come here, to be honest, like I think a lot of us when we move here have help, have some kind of relocation people who sort of hold our hands and help us with that, Mm -hmm. which makes it a lot easier. 
but it's still, I think it's, it, it's easy because there's a very clear area where everyone thinks the expats want to live. And so they'll sort of throw you down there and be like, oh, of course you want to live here. So we'll put you in orchard, um, which depending on where, what you're used to and what you really want may not actually be the best fit. So I think there is like a certain amount of research that that is worth putting into it before you move here to find the right neighborhood, because like we ended up, we started out down on orchard, which is sort of the like, like retail, super fancy, like marble shopping mall area. Mm -hmm. Um, which was like, not like just not a good fit for, and big, big, huge, like beautiful condos that was like, just not a great fit for me and my maniac children who want to be outside all the time. And so we moved, you know, as soon as we could, we moved out into the suburbs, which is much more comfortable for us. So, so my I think the question is that usually are, that, that it's all high rises. Are you saying that you, there is a possibility if you go out into the suburbs to yes. have a garden yeah. or a yard? And Absolutely, when we say yeah. suburbs, like the suburbs are at, what, a 10-minute drive from, or yeah. can be a 10-minute <laughs> drive from main town. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's houses aplenty. And actually, one assumes that the houses are going to be way more expensive. That's not the case. Like, your condo was really expensive, right? Ali, you were in yeah. a super fancy condo. Um, yeah. They're all on par because with condos, you get great facilities, which you don't you know necessarily get with houses and are the international schools out in the suburbs they're really kind of all over um they're they're not in one cluster at all um and so that kind of dictates like you know anytime somebody's moving here the first question I ask is do you you have kids and are they in school and where are they going to be because sometimes that really kind of dictates where you're going to live um that said, it's a tiny island. Like your kid can go to school on the very, very top and you can live on the very, very bottom. And like, it's not that, it, they have like a 45 minute, you know, one hour bus ride maybe. Like it's not okay. that And that's far. the other thing. All the international schools have buses. So in a way that I had never come across before. So irrespective, you know, people often get tied up in knots a bit about, I need to live near the school because that's what they're used to. They're used to driving their kid to school or walking them to school or having them walk to school on their own. And that's just not part of the culture here, really. If you that can walk to school. really good to know great. because I think that that is where I would start is I'd be looking at, okay, where are the international schools? Where are the ones with the curriculum that's best for us? And then focusing in that neighborhood, but that's yeah. not necessary. Right. Yeah, also because some of the schools are in neighborhoods that haven't yet developed. So as Ali said, the schools are all over. I think kind of when I first arrived here, there were a lot more schools downtown. Do you remember that, Al? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've, they've moved. Yeah. They, they've moved out to um, bigger sites out in what's called the heartland. And, uh, you know, those areas are being developed for residential use now, but a lot of people just want to live more in the heart of the, you know, more downtown and near the city. So, um, yeah, people just really, we see it all the time and we say to everybody, of course, decide where you, you know, what's important to you. Do you want to walk to school? Do you want to be able to drive your kids to school? But don't let that dictate necessarily where you live because you might end up living kind of out in the middle of nowhere and be lonely and friendless um, and end up driving into town all the time or taking taxis all over the place, which may not suit you because the the bus system for the schools are fantastic. Good to know. 
And with the housing, one of the things I often hear about Singapore is the very high cost of living. How does the housing compare with like London or Ireland or where where you're from in California? Is it much more or is it sort of on par? I don't know how it compares to London. I think it's maybe, it it seems like people from Hong Kong find it, um, are sort of pleasantly surprised because they can get more space. And Tokyo. Um, Yeah. (laughs) They're not great benchmarks. No. And I think everyone else is a little bit like appalled when they find out how much rent really is. It's really a lot, even compared to like Silicon Valley where I'm from or, I mean, I think that's high then it it really is. Yeah. It really is. It's, it's a lot. It's, it's very expensive. And I'm sure this depends on the company, but do most companies providing an expat package take into account that cost of living? Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah. They either, I mean, you, you either have, there are a lot of people here that are, are on big corporate packages that have a big housing allowance, um, which I think actually kind of drives up the price, right? Because people are coming in with like big blank checks that they can give to any landlord. So yeah, I think a lot of people have that. Um, And if they don't, then there's, their salary definitely kind of reflects that the cost of living here is so much. Okay. So someone yeah. that's in negotiations perhaps for a expat package should definitely make sure that the cost of living is accounted for. Yeah. It's, it's super, super expensive. And um, is everything so expensive? Are there um, other things that are more affordable? Anything to do with labor is cheaper. So taxis are very cheap compared, certainly compared to London. Um, home, uh, the helpers, having a living mate is affordable. People talk about it as if it's mere pennies. Actually, it's, you know, it's, it's relatively expensive, but compared to everything else, it's not. And things like getting, you know, getting your car fixed or just anything that requires manual labor is cheaper than one would expect given how expensive things are schools are very expensive housing groceries what else Ali? i mean i mean i think all of those things are super expensive but i think there's also the i mean i'm i'm like hearing what people are gonna like the the response to that which is lots of people live in singapore and don't live like the expat lifestyle and do so for fairly inexpensively so like if you don't eat, drink like your $6 latte every morning, then like it's not quite as expensive, yeah. you know? Um, there's tons of, I mean, people, you know, backpackers and stuff who come through Singapore are like super happy to eat in the hawker centers for $3 a meal and are yeah. amazed how inexpensive it is. So like there's, you know, you don't have to live. You don't, I think you if can, you, you try to keep your, the lifestyle that you're used to and you come here and you're like, I want Skippy peanut butter and organic milk and you know, I want my kids in international school and I want a latte every morning, then it does get I, to be yeah. expensive. I want to drive a BMW because I drove one at home. Right. Just asking for trouble, really. But you're right. Yeah. Schooling is expensive, but you can send your kids to local school, which isn't expensive. And you can live in local housing, which also isn't expensive if you can get it. Um, so I you- watched probably a YouTube video or something on that or read a blog about it. And it was talking about how there are more local services, local like neighborhoods, as opposed to mm-hmm. private schools and, and I guess higher end condos. 
do expats qualify for those local communities and local community services? Yeah, so it was probably about the HDBs, which are the um, yes, that is technically it. it's public. Yeah, so it's like the public housing um, in Singapore, which, like as we say in the book, like it makes you think of if you think of like public housing in London or in Los Angeles or something, and that sounds like a really horrible place that you would not want to live. Like that's yeah. not what it is here. Like the public housing here is really actually quite nice. Um, and expats can live there. Um, you do have to get there. There are um, extra permissions that you have to get um, in order to, to move in, in order to rent to an expat um, or a, a foreigner, I think of any kind, but um, it is possible. And, and some people do that and love it because it's, you are like legitimately in the local culture if you're living in, in an HDB. And you know, the, the way that they're built, they're built to be sort of like mini cities with the idea that you would never actually have to leave your HDB for really anything. So they're, you know, there's big housing blocks and at the bottom there are restaurants and shops and a little, little hardware stores and doctor's offices. Community and, centers. And everything is that, yeah. And the idea is kind of like, you never have to leave ever. Okay. Um, yeah. To, to, to nurture this notion of communities, um, which is very, very strong here. And they're really central. I mean, some of them, some of the, the HTBs are just amazing and they're smack in the middle of you know, the, the business district, for instance. Um, others are, you know, further out. And I'm not sure, maybe Al, you know this because you researched it for the book, but the extent to which you can dictate where you're going to live. I know with schools, for example, you yeah. can't really dictate that. It's potluck. So you put in your application for local schooling, which is, you know, at least a tenth of the price of uh, international schools. And you just, you get what you get. You don't get upset. And if that means that your kid is going up to, you know, the border of Malaysia every day to go to school, well, that's the way it is. And you did research on this for your book. Would you apply for HDB community services and schools and housing before you arrived in Singapore? Or do you have to do it once you're there? Uh, yeah. I mean, the housing, you could, you know, the listings are for, for the house. I mean, it's, it's, it's like the private market where you're just looking at list, you know, apartment listings, like anything else. It'll just, they'll, they're just in an HDB. Um, I would imagine though, sorry, I don't know the answer to your question outright, but I would imagine that to do it, that your landlord would need to apply to, to lease to you, right Al? And then you'd need to have your identification Yeah, there number. is permission. Yeah. And then yeah, you can't have yeah. your identification number until you're a resident here. Okay. So to answer your question, I'm pretty sure for all of those things, you need to be resident here. You need to actually have an identification number before you, but you can do all the research and okay. identify schools that you prefer and, you know, housing units that you prefer. But again, I don't know that you're able to, that you have any control over um, yeah, certainly the schools. Because you're basically, yeah, you're not really a person until you have your, your, um, res your ID number. Like you really can't do anything. You okay. can't even get like a frequent, like a, like a rewards card at the grocery store without it. Yeah. And in terms of healthcare, is that also, there's like a private system and a public system that you would access through an HDB or how does healthcare work? See, Al, you yeah, research so all are... of these things. Oh, so poor Al, sorry, you've got all to do all the talking stuff. on all this, all the fun stuff. Sure. It's boring. 
but when it comes to cars, I'm your lady. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so there are public hospitals and private hospitals. And again, like if you have it, the image in your head of what a public hospital is like in, you know, San Francisco, like that is not it at all here. Um, the public hospitals are really on par with the private hospitals and they're all really, really good. You don't get, um, Jess is, is a permanent resident. And so like Jess, you would know more about what you get covered and, and what kind of coverage you have from the government once you become a, a permanent resident. As, as just an expat, you are paying either out of pocket or, you know, your health insurance covers. But there are, they're called polyclinics, which are basically like public, like public clinics that you can sort of go to for your sort of general practitioner needs that are really, really, they're government subsidized and they're very affordable. And so that's, you know, if you don't have like amazing health insurance, that's a, a definite way to go. And it's really pretty quality healthcare, I think. Do you I even know off the top of your head how much it would cost to pay out of pocket for a visit? Oh, there, I mean, probably like, I don't know, maybe a hundred, sixty to a hundred dollars maybe for like a check, uh, you know, I like twisted my arm and I want to make sure it's okay kind of thing. Okay. Um, not a lot. Like I'm always kind of coming from America. I'm always like, what? This is amazing. Like, <laughs> let's x-ray both arms just in case. Cause it's so much cheaper than what I'm used yeah. to. And given how accident prone your kids are as well, it's awesome. Yes. I x-ray them all on a regular basis. <laughs> Yeah. Would a typical um, expat package cover private health insurance? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's another thing to have in a good expat package. Yeah, definitely to, to bargain for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What else? How is it uh, there? You say, So you're out in the suburbs. You've each got gardens, yeah? Or Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, how yep. is it to find green space out in the city? Is there enough green space for oh, all those God, children to run? Green stuff. Honestly, it's all jungle everywhere. Gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Truly, you come out of the, of the airport, and firstly, the airport here is magnificent. So when you can tear yourself away, you walk outside, and the motorways are just beautiful. To the point that when I go back to Europe, I'm like, what the hell? Like, these places, why don't people grow some flowers, for goodness sakes? They're gorgeous. Things grow here. If you turn your back on your garden, you know, your grass will have grown about two feet in a week. It's, um, it's very green and lush because of the, the climate. And things are maintained very, very well. And the government really, it's the Singapore's, is it an official name, Ali? The Garden City? It's, you know, it's, it's know. Singapore is known here. Yeah, they love it. And it is, there's just green space everywhere um there's you know i'm looking out my bedroom window and like i said we're in the suburbs but we really are i mean i'm five kilometers from downtown and i'm we have a troop of monkeys that live at the end of our garden and we don't live in a particularly big garden there's just greenery everywhere and it's it's very lush you know it's really really lovely and like i said the government really maintains everything very very well so all the roads are really well maintained the highways are just this you know, foliage growing everywhere and beautiful rain trees and flowers. It's, it's stunning. It really is. Then if you want to go actually looking for formal green space, like to exercise on or to bring the kids to, um, there are lots and lots of outdoor parks and nature reserves. It's incredible, really. You know, just that 
the, the island has managed to create this balance of being a very, um, very sophisticated and sort of futuristic city. And at the same time, you can take off to any part of the island and there's, you know, lovely nature reserves and walkways and esplanades. And it's, it's great. I mean, so you don't you know, feel trapped in an urban area. Not at all. No. No, eat, no. And I think that would make me like mental if I did. Um, and I don't feel like that. I think the, the other thing that's, that's different is that there are these, these nature reserves that are sort of like, if you look at it on a map, you're like, that's completely, that's like a green area completely surrounded by freeways and street. But honestly, if you get out of your car and walk five steps and you're like, I don't know how to get out of here. Like it is really dense, like jungle. And I mean, I get lost all the time when I go running because it's, it's, you truly feel like you're in like the jungles of Borneo very quickly. I would. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super cool. Yeah. And then when you're in like the downtown area, the city center, does that feel fairly child-friendly also? Yeah. I mean, I think the whole, the whole place, Singapore is a very um, family friendly place, I think in general. And so of course there's like, yeah, there's sort of like the central business district where there's like you know, just a lot of traffic and sort of like people rushing to get to work and stuff, which would be, I mean, I don't know why you would bring your kids there anyway, but you know, when you look Actually, at like you the, that, the marina and yeah, it's lovely down by the river there. Yeah. 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 And you know, the kids will scooter happily and cycle and things. Um, yeah. At the marina. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also great museums and things in the middle of town. So, you know, the, the, yeah. uh, uh, National Art Gallery is fantastic. Would that qualify as being in the CBD? I think so. I don't know. Maybe it's you know it's it's all very easy and orderly and yeah. I wouldn't dream of bringing my kids. Well, I have done it, but to downtown Tokyo and you know everybody's I've attached everybody to me on leashes and you know, I'm terrified <laughs> that they're going to get swallowed up in the crowds. And that really isn't the case here. Um, it is very very family friendly. And Singaporeans bring their kids with them everywhere. So you go, you know, you go to a hawker centre at nine o'clock at night and there's family, huge family gatherings everywhere you look every night of the week. Um, it's, it's a very family friendly place, I think. It sounds mm. like it. And it yeah. sounds like everything is really high quality. And I mean, it comes at a cost, but it's a really, you know, all the, the spaces are high quality. The services are high quality. You mentioned the lovely weather, and I've heard from other people that it's just like stiflingly hot. Is there, mm. Are there any seasons or is it year-round heat and humidity? There are no seasons. And it well, is no, there's, year-round. There's, there's three days in January where it gets a bit cooler. <laughs> we have our winter for about half a week in January. Um, yeah, it's, it is stifling. Again, I think it's fabulous when you've come from, you know, the other side of the Great Wall, where it's just miserable all the time. Yeah. Um, So in your book that you wrote, The um, Expat's Guide to Singapore, do you give some ideas on how to cope with the heat? I think mainly we complain about it, eh? And our hair. Um, Complain and then say to drink a lot. Um, (laughs) Those are kind of the, the, the tips we give. 
No, I think honestly, because here's the thing that we've come to about the heat. Like there's no changing it. And like, no matter how much you complain, like there's just isn't, it just, it is, it's going to be hot always. And like, you can wear like bras that have special inserts to soak up the sweat. Yes, I have them. And also underwear. <laughs> yes, I have them. But it's not going to really make a difference. Like you're still dripping sweat all the time. And so I think it, part of it is like, I think what we try to like convey through the book and, you know, when we do speaking and stuff, is just like, you have to kind of like laugh at it and just accept that this is part of the price you pay for all the great things about living here. Do you get used like, to Do you get used to it? No, no. Okay. You get used to it around March and then somebody starts turning up the thermostat. Like it is super hot now and it just feels like it's getting hotter and hotter every day. It's not that, it's not hot like you get in Dubai where you feel like your skin is turning to crackling under the sun. It's more hot, like a steam room is hot as opposed to a sauna. So the heat just sort of envelops you. As Ali says in the book, it's like having somebody wrap a hot towel around your head all the time. Um, and you can't get away from it. So you just, you adapt. But the Singaporeans, you look at them, okay, we're, Ali and I in particular, are total hot, sweaty messes all the time. Like we're dripping sweat. Our hair is a mess. We're just sort of in that kind of panicky, like, oh God, I'm, I'm so messy and disgusting stage all the time. And Singaporeans just are calm and sweat free and, you know, they, they've obviously adapted to it. Um, and that's who we aspire to be, right? <laughs> they walk really slowly. I think that that helps. They walk slowly. Uh, okay. Good tip. They make sure they're in yes. air conditioning yes. slow <laughs> all the time. Yes, totally. Yeah. And they it, I do think it helps. Like if you work in an office, all of the office buildings and malls and movie theaters and everything here are kept at like 15 degrees Celsius. Like it is freezing inside. And I think like if you have a real job and you work inside that environment, like eight hours a day or whatever, then you can make it from there to the subway and you're okay. But you we're wandering outside a bit. Of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Children. It's a different day. story. Yeah, exactly. Different story. Totally. Yeah. And um, most of the international schools, do they have like a similar Northern hemisphere schedule where the months of like July, August, there is a break? Yeah. So it depends on the school you choose. So when one is choosing a school here, obviously you've got that there's so much choice. Right. Um, But if you're coming from Australia, New Zealand, there are schools that follow the Australian curriculum. Yeah. Just trying to Um, imagine when you could get a break from that heat. Everybody's yeah. leaving around now, really. Um, okay. Well, also the, the thing about expats in Singapore is we take a lot of holidays. Like it is sort of, if there's a lull in the conversation, you know, you say to somebody, so where's your next holiday? I think people go away about like every couple of months, right? Al? Even if it's just mm-hmm. for a weekend. Yeah. And okay. that might be a function of the heat and getting away. But I think it's more just that it's such a great spot from where to travel around and explore places like especially if you come here only for a couple of years, which a lot of people do, and they know they're only here for two years, and they just look at a map of region and go, right, we want to go to Vietnam, we want to go to Cambodia, obviously we go to Thailand, let's go to Hong Kong, let's see the Great Wall of China. And all of those places are a couple of hours, and not China, but you know, you can be in Cambodia in two and a half hours up at Siam Reap, and it's a whole other world. And that's nothing. Do most companies give enough time off to take advantage of all that travel? Um. Well, what, this, what happens with schools for family vacations is that at the start of the year, you get a calendar of all of the school vacation. 
and you really can easily plan ahead. There are, are a lot of public holidays. Can you remember, Al, how many there are? I think it's like 15 or something. It's crazy. Maybe 13 of school days, of, of public holidays. In fact, we have one this Wednesday. And so, for example, my school, even though we break, my kids' school, we break up in four weeks. We have Wednesday off as a public holiday and also Thursday and Friday off. So a lot of schools will do that. They'll give, they'll have a teacher training day, maybe on the interim day after a public holiday or before one, and they create a long weekend. And if you know that in advance, then you look at your calendar, you say, okay, we've got five days off. I'm taking the kids up to Thailand or, you know, I'm doing whatever. So you just um, take advantage of those public holidays. So you don't have to yeah, use all your vacation yeah. days. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. I think people who are restricted by vacation days tend to save up their vacation days for the big holidays like the Christmas break or the Easter break okay. or the summer break. Um, it is nice. It's great. If you're organized, if you're a disorganized hot mess like me, guess what, kids? We're staying in Singapore again. <laughs> we blew it again. Oh, that's us. That's us in Germany yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, there's so many holidays. I can't keep on, tra- I can't keep on top of it. And it gets expensive, right? Going away a lot. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's so many opportunities to travel. Well, I feel like you ladies have given us um, so much great information. And then I know that you've written a book. What else can we expect to find in your book that, you haven't, that we haven't already talked about today? Oh, well, there's the text, I will tell you right, right now. It is, the, yeah. it is the, well, I'm going to start with the chapter on beauty, which (laughs) honestly, we need to do another podcast only on that because trying to live up to the Asian standard of beauty is a full-time job. And it's full-time. Yeah. Clearly we're, we're succeeding in that (laughs) because look at us. (laughs) Look at our lovely hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, 40 hours a week on doing your skin steps alone, right? You're... (laughs) Your 27 face steps before you go to sleep. That takes 40 hours. Uh, there's a chapter on beauty. So there are 11 chapters in the book. And we started after we met, um, we started this conversation with you just talking about the different um, Facebook pages. And while we really rely, relied and still rely on them, sometimes they get quite, they can take themselves a bit seriously or the people on it you know, can, might occasionally be a little bit judgy about other people's choices. So we started our own Facebook page called Texpat Wives, which was a play on obviously expat wives comprising text messages, SMSs to each other. And originally it was just screenshots of our SMSs wherein we would, you know, just take the piss out of whatever was happening in Singapore at the time, or take the piss out of ourselves mainly and our inability to, you know, mostly ourselves. Um, so the book actually grew from that because Text About Wise became quite popular. And then people were saying, well, you guys, you know, it's very funny. Why don't you do a book? Because these texts are, we tried to make them humorous. So the book, each chapter starts with a text between us um, relating to whatever the subject matter is on. And we just, we wrote, we wrote the book, we sat down and we made a list of every single thing we wish we'd known when we moved here. And all the main things that a newcomer to Singapore, a newcomer anywhere would need to know. So, you know, finding accommodation in schools, um, in, Sing- in Singapore in particular, finding a helper and how that process works. Groceries is a big thing here. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but it takes a lot of time navigating the whole supermarket and wet market and online stores. And it is, it's a topic of much fury for a lot of expats um, because they're very expensive. 
uh, groceries, produce is very expensive, as you can imagine, because things have to be imported. So we dedicated an entire chapter to groceries, which I sweated over for about six months. Transport mm -hmm. is a topic, just all the things you kind of need to know to get started. The, the um, sub subtitle of the book is Finding Your Feet on the Little Red Dot. So it was everything we felt that people needed to know so that to become sort of confident about living here and knowing their way around. I'm imagining a lot of it is stuff that you don't even know you need to know oh. until you get right. there. And then you're going, yeah. where do I get? How do I do? I read um, your um, website and you were asking some questions like, do you need to know this? Are you wondering about this? And those things just sounded so foreign to me. I have no idea what those are. And if I was going to Singapore right now, I wouldn't have a clue what those are. But say a month into my time there, yeah, I would yeah. be going, yes, that's exactly what I need to know. <laughs> yeah, it can, it can be quite overwhelming when you first get here because you, you arrive and it looks like the West, right? You come out of Changi Airport, which like I said, is magnificent and everything works and the roads are fabulous and the taxis are quick and you get to your hotel or your um, service apartment, wherever you're staying. And it's, you know, everything's in English, people... Yeah, so all the signs are in English. You think, how hard can this be? This cannot be that hard. And so many people have, you know, have done expat assignments in like really tough places, you know, where they don't speak English and shit, like they don't have like a sunflower garden in the airport, <laughs> you know, and you're like, this shouldn't be that hard. But then you realize you're crying every day in taxis because you don't understand what they're saying and you don't know where you're going. And, you know, it actually is, it can be hard. So yeah, I think we tried to cover everything that we, you know, everything yeah. that made us cry when we first moved here. <laughs> and alcohol is too expensive to drown your sorrows in. <laughs> so you're sitting at home as Ali was with her warm tiger beer, her one warm. Yeah. What was that called? That, that tiger beer you used to drink that has the lemonade in it? Tiger Rattlers. Delicious. Yes, yes, yes. I'm going to drink one as soon as we finish. <laughs> also good to know if anyone's weighing the pros and the cons on Singapore, alcohol is expensive. But yeah, but yeah. everything's expensive. So you just the the best tip somebody gave me for buying anything here is just just get over the prices. Stop putting the prices into your own home country because right. then you'll you'll be you'll be in the supermarket for nine hours going you know two pounds for a pot of yogurt. I can't believe it, and you'll end up leaving with no food because everything's so expensive. But yet you need to eat, so you still have to buy the stuff. So you've just got to suck it up and. You know, your friends back home will get bored of all of your Facebook posts about how expensive everything is sooner or later. Um, you become a miserable just, person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah. No one wants Although, to be that hungry. person. Or I'm, just I'm miserable and hungry because yeah. you don't buy it. A hungry, a hangry, miserable person. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be that get girl. cranky. Well, yeah. thank you so much for talking with us today. And thank you so much for writing that book because I'm sure it is going to save a lot of people headaches and stress and loneliness. Thank you so much. It was our pleasure so. talking to you. And thank you for hanging out with me today. Until next time, keep dreaming those big dreams and scheming bold moves. <laughs>